Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. How's your week gone? Discovering stories. Did you have any interesting conversations this week, asking questions and just getting people to start sharing about who they are, whether it was about faith or whether it was about just their life and helping your friendship go deeper? Did, did, did you do that? Um, you know, after service last week, I, I had a short conversation with somebody that reminded me of something maybe I didn't, I didn't say as clearly uh, because it, it really spoke to my own life as well. This whole thing of witnessing, this whole thing of evangelism, uh, most of us, especially if we've been following Christ for a while, have had experiences where we can go, I tried to do this and I was really awkward or I was really rude. In fact, I was too embarrassed to say this last week, but last week when I talked about the bridges of, to conversations about faith, I've done all of those personally. So as embarrassing as that is. And a lot of us have that kind of baggage around our attempts to be witnesses to people. Uh, or we've had people come to us and it's been awkward and it makes us feel awkward and so we don't want to be that to somebody else. Really, honestly, uh, for me, uh, that baggage for many years kept me from even talking to people about faith. And so, some of you maybe as well. And for me, it really didn't start to become, I didn't really just, didn't start to leave some of that emotional baggage in the past and begin to be more comfortable and even make conversations about faith enjoyable till I started to learn to just simply ask questions and be a good friend. So I really want to encourage you to just do that. In fact, uh, this week in the after the message, I'm going to include a couple books in there that really just talk more about that whole approach. And they're easy reads. They're really interesting reads about just discovering people's stories. Now, one of the things I want to ask you too, just kind of as an aside, uh, as you're taking experiments and, and taking risks to do this kind of stuff, if you're willing, I would love for you to email me your stories. Success, failure, I don't care. I would just love for you to email me your stories of, of your attempts to actually begin to engage people in faith conversations. You can do it at Ross at gotoquest.org, or you can message me on Facebook. If you haven't friended me on Facebook, just find me and friend me. And, and that leads to one other thing, too, even throughout this Christmas season or through all the times. We have a Quest Facebook page, and you would be amazed if all you do was like or comment or share the stuff we post there. You'd be amazed at how quickly it goes from reaching a couple dozen people to I think our highest reach at one point was 28,000 people actually saw that because enough people commented on it. It really, if you haven't liked the page, if you could just go like it and, you know, once a week go there and comment or share one of the things that we post, you'd be surprised how many thousands of people will see that every week. And it's just a, honestly, a free way of advertising and getting people interested. So if you would consider that. So today, my hope today is that you'll walk away with this um, insatiable, undeniable desire to pursue what we're going to call a grander vision for your life. So that each day you'll walk into that day and it'll just be a day where you walk in with a sense of curiosity, just wondering where you're going to get to see the Holy Spirit work today, what he's going to do in somebody's life, in a friend's, in a neighbor's, in somebody's life, just to live life curious and passionate. So to dive into that, I want to tell you about one of my favorite vacations. 
One of my favorite vacations happened in 1991, 1992. I can't remember. It was before kids, and that doesn't mean that we haven't had great vacations after kids. We've had plenty of great vacations after kids. But I really liked this one. We went to this place called Puerto Morales, Mexico with Wendy's folks and, uh, and her brother and, and, uh, at that point. And, um, it was, uh, Puerto Morales at that time was on the southern edge of the development of Cancun. So if you, and we were like at the place at the very end of that development. So if you looked north, there were nice restaurants and businesses and other places. If you looked south, there was nothing but miles and miles of empty white sand beaches, all except for the new Germans on the beach. Now I know that's the wrong picture. We don't want to leave you with that picture. The picture I do want you to leave, want to leave you with, though, is this, this place that has got the best of both worlds, of complete aloneness and trank, and, and yet you're, you're, you're near stuff, and, and, and this beautiful brand new adobe condominium complex that wasn't too big with its own private pool right on the beach, and a beautiful restaurant, and a, and a boat that would take you 300 yards offshore to this pristine, almost untouched reef, anytime, basically two to three times a day if you wanted to for free, and, and just this amazingly wonderful place to be. And now I want you to imagine that you just want a free trip there. That you've gotten to go there for your vacation. And you get there and upon your arrival, you immediately look out and it's a beautiful 80, 85 degrees with just a slight breeze coming off the ocean. And it's just beautiful and sunny, just a few clouds in the sky just to make it nice. And you decide, oh man, this is a great day for snorkeling. So you get there, 20 minutes later, you've got your garb on, you've got, you're all decked out, you're ready to go, you're jumping in the boat, and you're taking the 300-yard trip out to this reef across mostly, mostly really glassy ocean because it's in the inside of some bigger reefs and they're just, it's just not much waves. It's just beautiful. And you dive in as the guy cuts the engine. And you've come off of your hustle and bustle of life and the first thing you feel when you jump in that nice 80-degree water is just so refreshing and so peaceful. And you sit there bobbing on the surface of the ocean, looking at the glassy water just rising and falling. And off in the distance, you see a few birds and just the glint of the sun off the, off the water. And it's just peace like you haven't felt for a long time. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Is there anything wrong with that picture? The answer is no. I mean, come on, you've just won a free vacation to this great, great place, this beautiful place. You're hanging out uninterrupted in the calm ocean, in the sun, and in the clouds, your only companions, and it sounds like a wonderful place. But what if I were to tell you that right under the ocean is a completely different view of life? that you haven't even seen that, that you're missing out on this unbelievable universe of activity. So back to your imagination vacation. You finally muster the energy after floating there for a while, just relaxing, and you, you stick your mask down, you, you cup your lips around the snorkel, and you stick your face in the water. And all of a sudden you get this glimpse of this completely different, amazing place. Have you ever experienced that? You take in the surroundings and there's fish everywhere. There's activity everywhere. And you sit there and go, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I know that was there when I was just sitting there bobbing and there was just kind of nothing peacefulness on the top? Why didn't I see that? 
And all of a sudden you look over there and you see a barracuda and you go, oh man, I'm going to back up from that. So you start backing up and, and the minute, next minute you, you find yourself going right in the middle of a great big school of bright, colorful angelfish. And you're looking at the ocean floor and you're seeing the, the greens and the golds and the, and the blues and all the colors of the reef just kind of wafting around in the water. And you, and you see all sorts of amazingly beautiful things. And you think, man, this is unreal. And you see the ocean floor and you go, man, I couldn't see that. I can't believe I can see the ocean floor at that depth. And you just, everything around you is just amazingly complex and full of this almost chaotic beauty of fish going every direction and plants floating every direction and just amazingness going on all around you. And you lift your head up and out of the water and you see this calm, tranquil, surprisingly at ease surface and you put your head back down and 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 it's this activity and this challenge and this vibrancy and this movement everywhere and you look back up again it's just it's just serene it's calm and you look back under and it's just this colorful complexity back up it's silent and back under and it's just breathtaking commotion can you see it can you feel it which is a better view I mean, both are beautiful. Both are amazing, right? They're fantastic to be a part of. But one is more exhilarating. One is more full. One, is, one gets your pulse pounding more, right? Especially when you see sharks. And this is the picture of what our life is so often. We have these different visions of life around us. And at Christmas time, we get to see in the stories of Christmas maybe even in a more vivid way than we see normally, the two different visions of life coming together. We get to see in the accounts of the Christmas, we we get to see Mary and Joseph and these shepherds, just ordinary people going through life, and all of a sudden they get this glimpse of what's below the surface as the angels appear and they announce stuff to them. They give that gives them a sense of destiny, give them gives them a sense of meaning beyond what they normally see. It gives them a grander vision of what life is really all about. You see, Mary and Joseph, if we really think about it, uh, at the time that the angels come to them, they're in the best part of their life. They're in the courtship phase. they got hormones raging. Life feels great. They're about to embark on all their dreams. Joseph is probably building the home of their dreams to live in their first home. They get to be a family and they get to be real adults and grow up. And there's just so many exciting things going on in their life. It's the best of times. And they're sitting on top of the surface of the water, going through life, bobbing, and it's beautiful. It's awesome. And then they get a peek into this grander vision, this vision of God, the vision of a calling of God on their lives, on my life. An angel appears to them, and God promises to work through them to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to bring amazing stuff through their lives. And then just a few months later, imagine the shepherds sitting on a hillside. And, and it's nighttime, and they're sitting around the campfire. And every now and then, one of them gets up and goes around and does its rounds to make sure the sheep are there and make sure everything's okay. But they're basically a bunch of guys sitting there talking. And you got, you got Ravi sitting by the campfire talking about how he scared off a lion that day and they're all going, well, yeah, cool. And then the, whenever that comes up, everybody has to tease Levi because the first time Levi ever saw a lion, he ran like a girl screaming. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to insult you girls. I'm sorry. That, that was really bad, wasn't it? Oh, man. Sorry. He ran screaming. And they're sitting there talking about the games they played that day or that week and how, you know, somebody threw the game because they made a bad call. And, what, you know, I mean, they're just, just normal guys sitting there. Life is good. Couldn't be any better. They're sitting there staring at the stars, stars around a campfire. And then all of a sudden, the skies light up with angels. Little did they know there was a grander vision going on all the time. Not just them. It was going on around them every day. And they didn't see it. And they get to glimpse beneath the water at the amazing chaos and the amazing beauty and the amazing awe-inspiring things that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in people's lives around us every single day. You see, the lesson of Christmas to us is that that same grander vision is going around around each and every one of us every day. All throughout history, the Holy Spirit has been at work under the surface of what we naturally most easily see all the time. And as we learn to let the joy of His story become the joy of our story, the more sensitive we will become to actually dipping our face in the water and beginning to see and be surprised by that view of who God is in our lives. You know, Christmas, we could say, is one of the center points of history. And yet we could also say it's just what's always been going on and what always will be going on. It's God seeking to bring His grace, His love and forgiveness. Yes, it's the, one of the pinnacle events of God doing that in history, but God's doing that every single day of history. As we look at this further, we're going to look at a story that may at first seem distinct from Christmas, but it's actually the exact same theme, the exact same story. And it happens on another sea, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret. And we're going to read, I don't normally read from the message paraphrase, but we're going to read the scripture today in Luke 5 from that, verses 1 through 11. It says, it says this, Once he, he being Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. And he noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. And he climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, Push out of the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let, that, let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, and a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, There's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. And they pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Can you just imagine the excitement, the emotion going on, the elation going on in Peter, James, and John because of this monstrous catch 
that they had just gotten. I mean, this is the mother load. This is, this is bigger than any fish story they've ever heard and any dream they've ever had for a single day. It's, it's really amazing, wouldn't you say? And then picture with me for a second Jesus standing there watching this. Can you hear him kind of almost laughing and cheering as James and John are jumping into their boat, rowing as hard as they can to get there before Peter's boat is is swamped. And can you imagine Jesus kind of sitting back and almost snickering at the three strong personalities as they try to solve this dilemma? Because we already know that Peter's the strong personality, but sometimes we forget that James and John a, a few months later earned the reputation of sons, of sons of thunder because of their strong personalities. And so can you imagine Peter, James, and John trying to figure out what to do with something they'd never experienced and they're all barking orders at each other and they're all saying pull now and they're pulling at the wrong times and things are just really kind of funny and Jesus is having a good time with this and I can imagine Jesus sitting there thinking hey guys I mean you think this is something I mean you think that hauling in a whole bunch of scaly smelly little fish and creatures underwater creatures is fun try thinking a grander thought for a second what what if we multiplied the fun factor about a thousand times not that there's anything wrong with catching fish, I'm sure Jesus was thinking. Not that there's anything wrong with catching fish. I mean, that's a good way to make a living. And they're just honest, hardworking people. But instead of netting a few dollars, what if you were to net a few destinies? Jesus is saying. Can you see the double take of these smelly, uneducated fishermen when Jesus says that? Jesus probably has to repeat it. I mean... They didn't catch it probably in their shock. He basically has to come back and say, I'm I'm inviting you to go from six inches to six footers. I'm asking you to come for a vision that's much bigger than you've ever dreamed you could ever accomplish and see what real living is all about. Let's back up from this for a second because this odd miracle sets up for us something that is a a central aspect, a critical aspect of Jesus' teaching. And that's this, the idea of small fish versus big fish. Think for a moment. Jesus arrives on the scene on earth at Christmas and then throughout his life. And from that day until this day, Jesus has been asking all sorts of people, not just career fishermen, but businessmen and businesswomen, stay-at-home moms and dads, lawyers, doctors, teachers, presidents, uh, uh, secretaries, uh, pilots, And preachers, all of them, one question. Are you going to throw your one and only life into pursuing small fish? Or will you risk tossing all your nets out there in anticipation of catching human-sized ones? Are you going to dive headlong into this grander vision? Or are you going to settle for the many little lesser visions that control our lives? And here's the first observation I want to make from that. Jesus is really very clear about his intentions, about what it means to be a follower. He says, I will make you fishers of men and women. Notice, he didn't first mention in calling people to follow him, he didn't first say, I'm going to refine your character. He didn't say, I'm going to make you better people. He didn't even say, I'm going to save you from your sins. Although he did all those things for them. But the thing that Jesus chose to emphasize first was follow me 
in introducing people to the amazing love of my Heavenly Father and the forgiveness and the power that can come to transform their lives. The second observation is this. Many of us don't think that we can do this at least partially because we think wrongly about God's call in this passage and on our lives. You see, we see the disciples in this passage drop their nets and their vocation and follow Jesus, leaving it all behind, essentially starting on this path to become professional religious people. And when we translate that, when you translate that into your life, you probably have either the reaction, I don't feel called to do that. Or maybe you have the reaction, I love what I'm already doing. And I can't imagine doing anything different. Or maybe some of you look at that and you say, well, I feel incapable of being a fisher of men and women. And so we leave it for other people to do. But that leaves you bobbing on the surface never really being able to look into the grander vision that God has for you, the amazing place where He's so alive and so at work. Let me ask you this question. Is it more spiritual to be a pastor or a lawyer? Is it more spiritual and more meaningful to be a Christian counselor or an accountant? You see... We all know what feels right. Feels right says, yeah, it's more spiritual. But we all know what is right. That either one of them is equally spiritual, equally right. But we don't feel that way when it comes to life. You see, we live life with competing visions, partially because we misunderstand God's call. Did you know the word vocation actually comes from a Latin term that means calling? God has been calling people to follow Him throughout all of history. And to follow means we also fish. And if we look honestly at the Bible, let's just take uh, the passage in Hebrews 11, which is kind of this litany of the heroes of faith. And we look at the names in there. We look at Abel. And Abel was a farmer. Enoch was a shepherd. Noah was a carpenter. Abraham was a rancher, as was Isaac and Jacob. Joseph was a slave turned manager turned leading politician. Moses was a construction project manager as a prince turned shepherd and then eventually turned a leader of a nation. I mean, the minority of the people, of the heroes of the faith in the Bible, were actually professional religious people. Most of the heroes of the faith were ordinary working, everyday jobs, like all of us. And even in the Christmas story, the first people called to be witnesses to Jesus were smelly shepherds. You see, in order for the joy of God's story to become the joy of your story, your vocation, whatever it is, has to be seen as a calling of God through which He has connected you into relationships which you are to be good news in those relationships and to bring the kingdom of God to bear in winsome ways through the friendships you develop through those settings. Mary and Joseph's lives are really not unlike ours. They lived with competing visions. I mean, even after the angels came to him, can you imagine Joseph walking around trying to to, to tell his business partner, let's just call him Nate, 
uh, you know, all, about all the stuff going on. And can you imagine Nate sitting there talking back to him and going, well, come on, Joseph, that's all great, but you know what? Uh, Mrs. Levi needs her chair by Friday and we need to get paid and, and she's going to pay us in this really cool Swiss meatball lamb sauce that we really love. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they got lots of competing visions going on. And, and Mary walking around with her friends and trying to say what God is wanting to do. And, and the competing visions are, yeah, but we got to get bread done before the guys come in for the field today. And Mary, why aren't you spending more time helping Joseph plan and build the house that you guys are going to live in as a married couple in a couple months from now? You've got so much on your folks. And we have so many competing visions. We have visions for what we want our home to be like and look like. We have visions for our jobs. We have visions for what our finances should be like. We have visions for what our vacations would be like in our family. And we have visions for what kind of recreational time and pursuits that we'll be involved. And we have visions for family and friendship and what they all look like. And God is asking that His calling of us to follow Him and to allow fishing to be the centerpiece of our lives. The grander vision that breathes life in, to become the grander vision that breathes life into all the other little visions that we have, all the other things that we want. To reorient, to reprioritize, impacting people, prioritizing people for His kingdom. You see, being fishers of men and women is not another competing vision of, for your time. This is the grander vision in which you are swimming all the time. You just may be aware of it or you may not be aware of it. And God's Spirit is at work all around you, all the tri- time in vibrant, teeming ways all around you. If we can just dip our heads into the water and begin to learn to be sensitive to see what He's doing And whether your job allows you or your vocation allows you to be direct about talking about faith or even direct about asking questions of faith doesn't make a difference because wherever you are, just being interested in people, building friendships, being winsome, being caring. uh, You know, so Wendy's other job, she teaches at Franklin. And, And you'd be amazed at how many times questions come up about faith. Because one of her classes is teaching about purpose and meaning in life. And, and you don't have to be a teacher to do that. You can just talk to people as a business professional. When you're sitting over lunch, find out, you know, what is, what's their dream? How does their job fulfill that, that bigger dream for their life? And, and just be interested. And you'd be surprised how many times when any conversation about purpose, any conversation about meaning in life leads ultimately a lot of times to faith. Not all the time. But just being curious people in our jobs. We can stay within the boundaries our employers put and only talk about it when asked if we're curious people. There's this uh, passage in Colossians which is a... It's a sad passage because it deals with an unfortunate reality that they had to deal with in the day when this was written. It's It's about speaking to slaves. But if you look past that, what it really is is the theology of work. And it says in Colossians 3, 22 and after that, Slaves, it says, Obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only with their eye, when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Then he switches, instead of talking to employees, he talks to bosses, and he says, Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And you could say in one sense, this is a little bit of an aside, that the, really the big focus of this passage is, is simply this, that whether you're an employer or whether you're a boss, you have an audience of one that you're working for, and that's God. But specifically to the point of our message today, verse 24 is really powerful, but let's read verse 23 as a lead into that again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Is that inheritance because you work really hard and you earn something? I mean, is that what it's saying? I mean, maybe that's part of it. But when you look at the idea of inheritance from a biblical perspective, uh, biblical inheritance always comes because of obedience to God's mission in our lives, which Jesus sums up as being fishers of men and women. You see, whether what you do as a job is fun or not may be very secondary to why God has called you there. Work is unto the Lord in attitude and effort. But within that, prioritize people. He's got you there for the relationships. He's got you there for the friendships to develop. He's got you there for the impact that you can make by being a fisher of men and women in that setting. Next week, we're going to talk actually about how to tell your story when you're asked. So just come back for next week. But third, living a grander vision also means be people who believe the grander vision is accessible to everyone. See the potential in people. You see, it didn't matter to Jesus that his soon-to-be disciples were mostly teenage young men whose first response to him was a little bit south of obedient. I mean, remember Jesus in this passage asked them, put out your nets... Uh, in, uh, over the boat, put your nets over the boat out over the side to catch some fish. And their response basically was, but we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. And the insinu- insinu- insinuation there is this, that uh, they're basically kind of politely saying to this teacher, hey, uh, who do you think you are? We're the experts. I mean, you're a teacher and we heard that you were a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? We're the ones slugging it out all night while you were sleeping or counting sheep while you were sleeping or creating sheep while you were sleeping. We don't know what you do, Jesus. You do one of those maybe. But, you know, and now you want us to listen to you about catching fish? These guys aren't contending for any discipleship, disciple of the year awards. They're not the, the primo crop of people that you'd look to and think would automatically be picked by Jesus to live this grander vision. But this teaches us a lesson even as we try to invite people to the single greatest gift. Jesus isn't content letting a no be no. He doesn't let the nevers that people say uh, force him to not be able to look past that and to see the possibility that this person could move past self-centeredness to servanthood. They could move out of a, a rebelliousness to a righteousness. They could move away from being a quick, quick-tempered person to a, to a peacemaking, kingdom-building person. And the reality is, aren't you glad that God saw that potential in you? That he looked past those things for you? 
You know, as an example, we can look at Jesus, and in Jesus, all throughout his earthly life and in ministry, he was had this roving eye around him, looking and trying to see potential. As we see this, we see him seeing potential in people that cause their lives to be really uprooted, kind of upended, almost utterly transformed, like the guy uh, that he called, his name is Levi, who also goes by Matthew, uh, two names for the same person. We've got that today, so, you know, that's that's what he was doing here. In Luke 5, we see Jesus going up to Matthew, and Jesus sees this tax collector, someone obviously outside of the faith. And he just simply goes to him and says, follow me. And surprisingly, the guy gets up and follows him. And can you imagine all of his tax collecting friends around him looking at him going, have you lost your ever-loving mind? I mean, what are you thinking? Why on earth would a successful businessman ditch a career and traipse after a homeless rabbi? But Matthew would soon discover that Jesus, what Jesus already knew, that living this grander vision that encompassed all the lesser visions into one big vision leads to wealth that only the world wishes it had. You know, I know I said a little bit ago that, you know, you don't have to leave your career, and that's true. There's no difference in the spirituality of one career over another. And yet, it is true in this instance that Matthew did leave his career, and some of you may end up leaving your career, not because it's better to be a pastor or in ministry in some way, but because that's God's calling on your life. Jesus says, followed me to this wide-eyed Matthew, this guy who... Everybody sees him as unscrupulous, and he knows he is. And he leaves everything behind, including his open cash register, to pursue Christ. And we have to ask the question, what did it mean for Matthew to follow Jesus? Now, it obviously meant walking away from his business. It meant walking away from his identity, his comfortable routine, not to mention his financial security. But, But what else did it mean? Matthew would also walk away and be forced to change, to prize and even prioritize the people he once swindled. He'd be looking for potential good in those same people rather than looking for potential vulnerability that he could exploit. See, a ton would be shifting for young Matthew as he now began to follow Christ, much more than he could even fathom at this moment. You know, in the early days of him as a disciple, Matthew probably wasn't really altogether sure what he'd gotten himself into. He probably was walking through life going, yeah, I want to live this grander vision, this this fishing for men. I've never thrown a line in the ocean, but I'll, you know, maybe I can do this. But he probably also sat there and thought, I I just wish I knew what that looked like. And a lot of you can probably relate to that, right? What does that look like for me? How about starting the way Matthew started in living it out? Starting small, but starting. Like Matthew, you may be chomping at the bit to live this grander vision. You may be on board with the idea of prioritizing people. You may be on the board with the idea of seeing the potential piece in people, but you're just perplexed of, what do I do? How can I do something? What's next? And if Matthew were standing here today, he'd say, yeah, I can, I can totally understand where you're coming from. I was right there. I understand exactly how you feel. You see, Matthew, this newly converted disciple, has this deep desire to expose his friends and family to 
this acceptance, this love, this purpose, this hope that he's experiencing. This guy who would believe in him even when nobody like him should believe in him at all. And yet Matthew hasn't had the Evangelism 101 course. He hasn't read any of the apologetics books of how to answer somebody when they ask the question of evil or the problem of evil or the problem of sin or why this religion or why not, you know, whatever. He hasn't had any of that. Matthew's sitting there as a guy. He, he, he's been wanting to give, but giving isn't in his nature. I mean, he's a tax collector. Giving isn't part of his nature. He didn't know any catchy worship choruses. He didn't know how, he didn't have this prayer thing down. He didn't even understand anything about this prayer thing. All he was good at was throwing parties. Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. An approach to evangelism that involves partying. Yeah! For the first time in this entire series, I have something that I can hope in. But it wasn't just any party. He was going to throw a party for his old tax collecting buddies. And his whole purpose was to get them in the same room with some of his now new Christian friends. And just hope that somehow in hanging together, friendships would emerge. Honest conversation might emerge. An opportunity for prayer might, alert, might emerge and God would show up in a way that would answer somebody and they'd experience His presence. He was just hoping that something would rub off and that maybe just by hanging together and being friends together, some of them would experience the same love, the same acceptance, the same belief in their potential that Jesus had just given him. And as I read this fascinating story in Luke 5, here's what occurs to me. Matthew could have been utterly consumed by his own transformation. He's got issues. He's got a lot of pain in his life to overcome. He's got a lot of things that he wants to grow in. He doesn't know a heck of a lot of what he needs to learn in terms of the theology and the Bible. He could have been so consumed by his own transformation. He could have instantly adopted a new circle of comfort with his Christian friends and never left that. But Matthew chose to be a walk-across-the-room person, to go outside of his circles of comfort, to prioritize those who, if they just experienced even a smidgen of the, of the grace and acceptance that he experienced, if they just experienced even just a little bit of the friendship that he was experiencing, if they just experienced a little bit of the forgiveness and the belief in them like Jesus is believing in him, then maybe they could experience the same thing and come to faith. I mean, really, who would have given Matthew half a chance of coming to faith in Christ if they were to look at him on the street? You see, Matthew had this right view of his roles in the, friends of his, in the lives of his friends. He didn't have his act together. All he had was this deep sense of forgiveness, this deep sense of acceptance, this deep sense of somebody believing in him for something grander than these competing visions that we all know the longer we live become fairly hollow. And that reality compelled him to take action. You know, Matthew knew that God had saved him for a purpose, for this grander vision of making people the priority, making the potential of other people the focus, of walking across the room so that someday he could have the only thing go to him with heaven that can go, and that is the relationships of people that we bring to Christ. The same holds true for us. Really, the question is, will we opt to live our lives through this grander vision or will we settle for the many little lesser visions? Back to our imaginary vacations. I don't think Christ came. 
I don't think He ministered to us. I don't think He lived with us. I don't think He died for us for the sake of giving us a calm, tranquil life at ease, bobbing on the surface, just alone and peaceful with no, nothing really, everything being comfortable. The way I understand the things when I read the Bible is that He came to bring this abundance to bring this redemption, to bring this transformation that turns our lives upside down and the lives of our communities upside down in such a beautiful way, wrecking our lives by grace. But even when we experience grace, you know when you've experienced it, it completely turns your world around, turns it upside down. It still is up, upheaval nonetheless. And this is why we walk across the room to people. This is the why we, why we befriend people. This is why we learn to ask questions and draw out people's stories. And this is the reason why we learn to tell our story in a way that people can hear it in an honest friendship. Because there's this magnificent gift that the world's waiting for. Relationship with the one who cast aside his agenda to come love us where we're at on the beach, on the side of the road, in the dump, wherever we were. He's the one who came and he saw faithful disciples in these smelly, dripping wet fishermen. He's the one who calls a tax collector and says, I've got purpose that you can be passionate about that goes beyond anything you've ever experienced in your success. The one who sees limitless spiritual possibilities in your life and in my life through even something as simple as a party, through something as simple as being intentional in our friendships. Don't settle for just what you see on the surface of life. Don't settle for anything less than a glimpse into this Spirit-led universe that is all around us where God is at work in the lives of you and the lives of every single person around you. And, and He's called every single one of you, regardless of how much you know, to learn to be able to glimpse that beauty, to stick your face in the water and be able to see this grander vision. And here's my challenge. From here until a week from next Saturday... We're just calling this Be a Gift Week. It's, I know it's two weeks. Be a Gift Two Weeks, whatever. Will you take the time to intentionally, with the people you've put up on the tree, and if, you, if, you, if there's people that God's brought to your mind that you haven't put their name on the tree and aren't praying for them, that you want them to be up there, we still have ornaments over here. You can put their name up there. But people who you want to help them find and help them learn to seek to find this greatest single gift that any of us have ever received this holiday season, just invite them to do something fun. Have a party. Have them meet some of you in a, in a party environment. Have them meet some of your friends who are also Christians so that they can learn to have a relationship and a friendship that goes deep with trust with many people and eventually maybe a faith conversation and a decision with them, a decision to follow Christ. You see, you know, when I, you and I take up residence in this vibrant, otherworldly life that we're calling the grander vision, We'll never want to go back to smoting, float, floating around on the smooth surface, a silent, serene, calm, everything comfortable. We won't get as excited about netting a few scaly fish or we won't get as excited about throwing all of our energy into amassing a few more dollars. Why? Because these things will no longer scratch the soul level itch that you have. 
because there's something so much grander, so much more beautiful, so much more vibrant, so much more surprising, because the Holy Spirit is surprising, and what He does is surprising. So much more curious, so much more interesting. You'll never crave your old ways again. You'll never go back. But for all of us, especially those who've got baggage because you've had bad experiences doing it, you're going to have to make a decision to be intentional. You're going to have to make a decision to take an action, to engage in a different way of building relationship with people so that they can experience the God who loves you so much. Lord, we ask that your presence would be with us. That you would teach each one of us to not let the feelings of the past or the attitudes of the past or the experiences of the past keep us from dipping our face in and seeing the amazing world of your Holy Spirit's work in the lives of people all around us. In the amazing way that even though we are so um, humble, we are so inadequate, that you have still see the potential in us and you've called us to be fishers of men and women. Lord, we pray specifically for uh, the people whose names are represented on the tree that we're praying for. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would show up in surprising ways to them and show up in surprising ways in our conversations with them. Lord, that you would open doors of friendship and honesty and openness that becomes not only comfortable but exciting to be able to talk about because we get to believe in who you've made them to be and we get to encourage your presence in them and enjoy seeing what you do. Lord, give us success in this. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, sing our closing song, we're also going to partake in communion, which I think is a very fit celebration because it is the ultimate of Christ coming to us of Christ going to parties with us, to build friendship with us, of, of Christ spilling his blood to give his life for us, to be willing to take embarrassment at times, to be willing to take the pain of other people and care for that pain in a way that shows them that there's a God that's faithful. Even when they lash out at him, even when they lash out at us, we get to show them that there's a God who's faithful. So come and enjoy celebrating and worshiping through communion in this final song. As always, if you are here and there's just something you would love somebody to pray for you about, we would absolutely be honored to pray with you. God shows up when we pray for one another and God shows up when we ask for prayer for one another. So if you have something, uh, just join us or join somebody in the back there or grab a friend. Let's just have a party. Let's be friends. Let's learn to ask questions and love discovering people's story. And let's learn to see where God's Holy Spirit is at work in those moments. He wants to show you. Expect Him to show you. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.